I was getting, I was getting a lot of no letters, and I kept some of the letters because it was like motivation for me. I was young in my coaching career. I did know that those guys I was coaching, this was their one opportunity. If you really want the players to like you, just make them better. If I want to keep playing this game, you know, as a job, I, I have to continue to get better at that. You have to figure out a way to carve out some value that you have that you can bring not only to your team, but also your profession. It's really good information, and I pick up little nuggets all the time. For me, it's all about confidence, man. You, you have to have confidence to be a shooter, to be uh, a basketball player in general, and to have success. You, you, it's all about confidence. If they walk a mile in my shoes, then they can bow like I do. But my game different, not the same with it. I travel now, y'all just change, pivot. Shooters, welcome back to another episode of the Shooters Touch podcast. We're so excited you're here and thank you for listening. If you could do us a huge favor right off the top, make sure you tell a friend about Shooters Touch today. We really appreciate it. That's how we're doing all this, spreading spreading awareness by word of mouth. And that's thanks to you guys and, and all of our listeners. That's why we do this. But uh, got an awesome guest. But before we get to that, how about these NBA playoffs? These NBA playoffs have been just wild. I'm starting to see a little bit of separation, though. Big win last last night for the Lakers, going up 3-1 on Memphis. The Heat, Jimmy Butler, Jimmy Buckets, big night for him. Heat going up 3-1 on the Bucks. It's going to be crazy to see what shakes out with there. And then, you know, probably the best series is that Kings-Warriors one. That one's been a lot of fun, tied two games apiece. And look out for the Knicks. The Knicks uh, up 3-1 on, on a really good Cavs team. And so hopefully you get an opportunity to catch some of these games. If you're anything like us, I know these West, the West Coast games get a little late. Hard to hard to follow along with that, but uh, it's been fun and it's going to continue to be fun as we move through just high level execution um, and playmaking throughout the playoffs. So it's been a lot of fun. All right, with that, let's get into our guests. We bring on newly minted associate head coach Todd Lorenzen for Graceland University. Todd only spent one season down in Graceland, but uh, already getting a promotion. It shows you the value in which that he's bringing to the program. So I'll be anxious to see what year two brings and what the offseason is able to do in, in the recruiting trail. Todd's bounced around. He's got a lot of experience, uh, both as a player and as a coach. Grew up in the house with a dad that has just won a ton of basketball games at the high school level. And so he knows the game. And he's been recruiting ever since he was a, a kid in high school trying to put together an AAU team. And so a lot of little nuggets with this one. We hope you enjoy it. As always, shoot or shoot. Coach Todd Lorenzen, welcome to the Shooter's Touch. Thanks, gentlemen. Appreciate you having me on. I'm looking forward to uh, talking shop about Iowa basketball and just the game in general. Yeah, Coach, we're excited to hear a little bit more about your story as we speak, actually on the way back from a little AAU. So we'll get we're going to get into this long list of jobs that uh, you have or have had. And one of those is obviously being a dad, but also being a coach for your son and Kingdom Hoops program in general. And so uh, on your way back from Kansas City, how was the how was the weekend down there? I know you said your boys went three and one, had some good games. Was it uh, high level basketball? That was uh, just a lot of fun to see the boys succeed. Yeah, I mean, it was a, a very good tournament. I can't even tell you the number of teams that were there between 17U, 16U, and 15U. I mean, you were seeing 
high major coaches from Jerome Tang to the new uh, coach at Texas Tech, Grant McCaslin, and, you know, anywhere in between from kind of your mid-major to low-major and obviously your power five guys as well. So a lot of talent in the schools and uh, it was just a lot of fun to be in that atmosphere and, and see great players going at it. So is this something that you can uh, can low-key kind of double as obviously you're there for a coach um, and you're there to help your son in the kingdom uh, boys get better, but an opportunity to obviously take in some of the talent and what's going on around you in between games? Yeah, definitely get that opportunity to double dip, which was, was certainly part of the appeal. I mean, the main appeal was to get to coach a kid and be around his games, but uh, to catch a few games in between definitely helped. Um, sometimes it gets a little challenging just as these tournaments go so big, they have multiple locations. So you might be playing off-site, especially with the 15U kids. Um, they are the first group they get pushed off because they keep 16 and 17U where the primary amount of college coaches are going to be. So just logistically, sometimes it gets challenging. Uh, but certainly get a chance to get my eyes on local talent at the same time. Yeah, it's always nice. I mean, even I mean, from any standpoint, it's it's always fun. And I think that's a little bit where, you know, some of us basketball sickos like do it differently. When you go to those tournaments, you get an opportunity. Oh, let's jump over and watch this game or let's watch this kid. Um, it's just a lot of fun to be in those venues with good basketball going on. It's hard not to watch and and see what's going on. And so um, so where are we at in the the school year? Um, down at Grayson, are you guys, I know you're getting real close here to wrapping up the year and then, uh, start summer. Is that correct? That is correct. One of the great things about Grayson university is our academic calendar is, is tailored pretty tight. So we start in late August, you know, the calendar changes that date every year, uh, but we're done before May 1st, every single year. So we're heading into finals week starting tomorrow, um, then have commencement next Sunday and, and our guys will head home for their almost four months summer, which is great for them, but it's also good for us as coaches. You know, there's a lot of long nights and long hours and weekends that you don't have availability to, to a, be a, be a family man and parent, but also just to be a human being every once in a while and get some relaxation. So I know that all the coaches in our department uh, love the programs that they get to be a part of, but are also excited for the opportunity to have a chance to take a deep breath and, and catch up on some other things in life. So what does summer usually look like then for your guys from from a skill development workout? It sounds like most of them end up going back home um, and finding places and ways to play. Is it something that you guys come back to do a camp or anything uh, or host a camp in which it gets guys back on camp on campus during the summer at all? Or is it pretty much just on their own? Yeah, just with our location and the makeup of a lot of our recruiting, I mean, we would love to do a little more um, local recruiting. That's a big emphasis that our program is going to put over these next couple of years. But our current roster um, and even our campus wide, the average student um, lives three and a half hours away from campus. And then 65 percent of our student body is four hours or further away from home. So um, most of our players, they get an opportunity to find better places to find pickup games, find better uh, workout partners away from campus. Um, the camp thing is something we, we've touched on and we're interested in doing that, uh, but we just have a little bit of a heartburn concept of asking a kid to get a flight to come up for a 72 to 96 hour period um, to do a couple of things. And in the future, we're hoping to maybe do it right before school starts so they can just get that flight and be there and stay there. Uh, but we just haven't gotten to that point yet in our program. Yeah, that's hard. That's definitely a unique situation to be able to try to balance and juggle some of that. Um, so, Coach, one of the big big reasons uh, that hit the radar and why you're on with us here on the Shooter's Touch is a recent promotion. 
Um, tell me a little bit about this. How does this change? What is this? What is this? Do the duties change a whole lot or is it more just a title thing and was kind of already in the work? Yeah, I mean, the reality is it's much more of a title thing. Um, the day-to-day operations will not change one bit. Uh, but w- what it really means is it's a department, a program, letting someone know that you're valued and they appreciate the, the contributions and the efforts that you're giving to the program. Um, and then, you know, I've had a fortunate opportunity to be a head coach already. So it might not be quite as significant for me, although it is still beneficial. Um, if you're a long-term assistant coach and you've been grinding it out for six or seven years in the same program and you're doing a great job, you, you want to be able to show steady growth within the profession. And so it can be a way for a head coach or even the department head to show progression for that individual within that program, ultimately to benefit their resume and maybe give them an opportunity to get that head coaching opportunity at a different institution if and when the time comes. So like I said, the day-to-day operations uh, won't change. Um, You know, the big schools, you know, if you got four or five guys on your staff, sometimes that signifies who the top right-hand man is. If there's ever a head coach that has to be out for illness or, you know, any other reason that may happen. Uh, But our level, it's really just a, a tip of the cap from our head coach and department to appreciate the efforts that we put in. Obviously good to, uh, like you said, show that growth for an individual, but kind of, you know, as a, as a head coach, maybe even show that appreciation for all the, all the hard work for, you know, long hours and stuff like that, that assistant coaches go through. So that's, uh, that's an awesome, um, you know, an awesome deal. Congrats on that for sure. Um, let's give, um, our listeners a little bit of, of a background about you coach. Um, I know a little bit about you and obviously Brian does too, but, uh, where'd you grow up? Um, what was, you know, childhood like, and then, you know, eventually what did, uh, what did athletics, uh, what kind of, what kind of role did athletics play in that childhood? Yeah, you know, it's, it's kind of fun to go down memory lane as you asked that question, but, uh, had a tremendous upbringing. I grew up in a coach's house. My father, um, is going in, I think it's going to be year number 43 next year at Prairie City Monroe PCM high school, um, wow. was previously Monroe before the consolidation in the early nineties. But, um, it was awesome. I, I rode to school with my dad every day. Um, so I got to be in the high school, run the hallways. I know the janitors, janitors hated me growing up because I was always bouncing a ball and making a mess somewhere. Um, and then they'd actually pick you up on a bus to take you to either the elementary or the middle school prior to being a high school kid. And then after school, the bus brought me right back to the school and we'd either go home in the off season or when it was basketball season, which I thoroughly enjoyed, uh, would run around the gym for another two or three hours and cause some ruckus here and there and then it'd be time to go home you know it sounds like a lot of coaches kids uh a lot of time spent in the gym what do you remember most about you know those um obviously in elementary and when you were younger but you know being in the gym with your dad as a coach you know whether it's you know do you remember some of the the guys specifically some of the teams some of those wins what do you remember specifically about being in the gym during that time yeah there are so many memories that come flooding back I, i i do thoroughly remember uh, the relationships that, you know, even as a young kid, you know, these high school kids were my idols. I mean, that was my, you know, day-to-day Michael Jordan, my day-to-day JJ Redick, my day-to-day Seth Curry, Steph Curry. I mean, these major names that you think about, I got to see these guys who I thought were that level of player, you know, small town Iowa, we had a couple guys who could dunk, you know, I thought they were going to the league for sure someday. Uh, but just being around those guys, I know, you know, back in the day, the bowl cut was the cool thing. And, and my dad let the players cut my hair one time. That's a very vivid memory. Um, I remember celebrating the state tournament qualifying nights. You know, we'd always go to these different houses of parents and, and eat meals. And I think I watched Hoosiers for the first 75 times in those events and have continued to love that movie ever since. But like you said, just, just those 
those dull moments of being in the gym every day are what really hit me the hardest because it's really impacted my upbringing, obviously, but now who I am and loving the sport and needing it in my life on a day-to-day basis. You know, as a youngster growing up, were um, I'm assuming I know this answer, but uh, were you just basketball? Were you playing all four seasons, all four sports? What did that look like growing up? Yeah, so like I said, smaller town, two-way school. Um, our athletes participate in a lot of different things. So I, I played football for four years. I'm um, not sure any, I was any good, but I did play. Uh, played basketball for four years. And then track and baseball, I was a two-year guy before, uh, as my dad would term it, I went into early retirement from track and baseball. Um, track because I was, I was kind of slow. Um, secondly, uh, just didn't love it. And then for baseball, um, you know, it's in the summer in Iowa. And, you know, when we were growing up, AAU is not what it is today. I mean, it was literally AAU amateur athletic union back in those days. Uh, but it still made it very challenging to, to do both things. And kind of the biggest hindrance, um, my dad was the baseball coach as well, of all things. So I just didn't want, A, I didn't love baseball. So it was not hard for me to say, hey, I'll just do something else. But then B, if I was going to play, there were about two one-week stretches I was going to miss within the season. And I just, you know, felt with my dad being the coach, it was going to put him in a tough spot. And so it just kind of all those culmination of concepts uh, made it easy for me to move on and just kind of focus on hoops in the spring and summer. Right. Uh, you also mentioned AAU, and obviously we've mentioned this quite a few times on the pod, but uh, AAU has changed changed since that time. Um, who did who did you play for? Who did you play with? Um, and what did that uh, AAU kind of circuit look like for you during the summer, specifically in high school? Yeah, so we we kind of made up our own little team, which uh, was more and more common back in the era when we were playing in the in the early two thousands. We I'm not sure why we came up with this name, but it was Southern Iowa AAU. Um, Ken Spielbauer, who was a longtime coach at Wapalo High School, uh, and my father, you know, they coached the team. So we put together myself, Jacob Spielbauer, who played for his dad, Ken, at Wapalo as well, and then ultimately William Penn University. Um, Reggie Hoy got a Linville Sully, who was a great high school player, um, was a good childhood friend of mine just from playing camp. So he was automatically in. Uh, and then I started recruiting as a, as a 16-year-old kid. That's when I really... Uh, started that craft I, I was on Clayton Corver's phone and Pierce Hidma's phone day in and day out saying let's do this thing let's do this thing um, Clayton we got pretty quickly because he he's just kind of a laid back hey yeah that sounds great type of guy and and Pierce was a little bit of a harder sales pitch he was kind of in that opportunity to maybe play for Martin Brothers which was at that time um, probably the biggest name and premier program in the state of Iowa and, and opened up a lot of doors if you played on that team um, but using that recruiting pitch I said Pierce you can go play for Martin Brothers and you know you might be the ninth best player uh and play 12 minutes an hour you can come play for us and be our go-to guy get to shoot whenever you want get to make all the plays and thank goodness he failed for that fell for that sales pitch because if we wouldn't <laughs> have had him we wouldn't have been near as good but uh, other teams we got to play against was the Eastern Iowa All-Stars if I do recall yeah man yeah we Couple uh sharpshooters very very similar uh kind of just a group of dads put a team together and you know, I've told this a couple of times on the pod, but our first AU tournament, we we show up with the East Bay reversible jerseys, no numbers on them. <laughs> and apparently you need to have numbers on them, your jerseys when we play basketball. Um, so we put some athletic tape on them for numbers and they fell off immediately. Like it was just, we just looked like a rinky dink AU team. But, you know, as you said, it's, it's uh, back in the day, there was, I mean, am I right to say there was really only Martin Brothers back in the day? And if, you know, if you didn't make that, 
uh, if you didn't make the team or if you don't want to be on that team, you, you kind of ran out of options, um, which is crazy to think about with, with the AU climate today. Absolutely. I mean, if you're talking about programs, there was Martin brothers and there was nobody else. So like you said, if you weren't in that group of guys, um, which, Hey, there were a lot of really good basketball players that weren't going to play for Martin brothers. And that's mm-hmm. no knock on the players. That's not a diss to their program. That's just the reality of life. When I, I believe our senior year, the state of Iowa produced almost a dozen division one players, maybe more. Um, so you have 10 guys on a roster. That means there's division one players that weren't going to make that Martin brothers team. So it left great opportunities for guys like yourself and me to, to put together really good teams that, you know, ultimately when you guys played Martin brothers, it was a 50, 50 chance who was going to win the game. And I felt the same uh, for us as well, uh, which made it really cool because we had three, three really good teams that uh, all competed at a high level in the state. Right. You're exactly right. Now tell me a little bit. um, I guess you may have to remind me about this, but uh at nationals, I believe in Orlando, um, where did, where did you guys finish? Did you guys finish just outside top 10? You guys finished inside top 10. You guys finished pretty well that year. Yeah, we had a great run. Um, we finished eighth place in the nation and the final game that we played, uh, we beat the St. Louis Eagles, which at the time, you know, was the Martin brothers of the Missouri area. Uh, they were really, really good and always had a ton of power five guys on the roster and Looking back, I don't remember who they did or didn't have on that team. I just know that uh, the funny part was um, a lot of us had booked flights that had us leaving earlier in that day. So we had to had to renew some flights because if we if we wouldn't have won as many games, which dumb us, we weren't expecting to maybe uh, we would have been out of town already. So um, I'm glad we had to spend some of our parents money to rebook those flights and get to play in that game and finish eighth in the nation. Right. And that was just uh, incredible. Um incredible venue down there in Orlando just the um whatever whatever that's called is the Universal Studios Disney area I think it was called the the wide world of sports is what the actual complex for athletics was called that's correct yep now that you say that you are you are right about that um well you mentioned that you uh as I mean as far as that one team that you that uh, you beat to get eighth place don't recall who was on that team but overall just kind of AAU who do you remember playing against that you know you can can kind of tell your buddies or tell your kids, Hey, I played against that guy back in the day. Uh, It's kind of embarrassing. Maybe I was just naive or didn't care or whatever, you know, word you want to use. Mm -hmm. I don't really recall guys from outside of the state. You know, I I remember, you know, the Mike Henderson's from Martin brothers. I remember the Adam Veets and the Brooks McCowan's from the Eastern Iowa, Jake Wenig. Like I just, honestly, I remember the Iowa guys who, for the most part, we all went on and did really great things at whatever level that was. But from the, the national landscape, uh, I really don't remember anybody. You know, you mentioned a couple of those of those guys. I mean, you mentioned too earlier that, you know, hey, if you all played Martin Brothers, if you all played us, you know, it was I mean, those games were really good basketball games. We had some really good talent back in the day, um, you know, on those teams. That was fun to that's always kind of fun to you know reminisce about, obviously. Um, uh, with that being said, so, uh, Hey, if we're talking about high school here, um, you know, talk us through when you're, when you walk into the high school as a freshman, um, you know, are you on varsity? Are you starting varsity? What did that, uh, you know, what did from eighth grade to freshman year transition look like for you specifically? Yeah. So my eighth grade year in in middle school, our high school team, uh, made the state tournament, had a really good squad, but was very senior late. So, I remember sitting on the bench at the state tournament uh, when they got beat in the first round and kind of having that realization moment, like, holy cow, the next time these uniforms go on for a real game, 
I'm most likely going to be in one and hopefully on the courts. Um, as it ended up happening, um, two weeks before we started practice, I got diagnosed with mononucleosis and I was down for the count for quite some time. So I, I missed maybe the first week of practice, uh, but obviously coming off that kind of an illness, it took quite a bit of time to get back into the flow of things and, you know, played a little bit the first couple of games and then got more and more minutes and was fortunate enough to play well in those minutes that I got. And the second semester when we flipped, uh, flipped the calendar over, I moved into the starting lineup and our team wasn't very good. We, we only had one or two seniors that contributed. Um, we kind of got kicked around, but we, we were competitive. The game I remember the most would have been uh, we played Pella Christian, who was ranked number one in the state. They had a kid by the name of Kyle Van Arendonk, who went on to have a great career at Dort. Uh, Brett Van Wyke also went on to Dort and have a great career and just a really good program, um, which in some ways pains me to say, but I do have respect for the program. They were a big rival. Uh, we beat, or excuse me, we lost to them 39-37 and had a shot up at the buzzer that would have won the game. So that was kind of, that was the game that I think our our younger guys realized, hey, we have a chance to be pretty darn good moving forward. And looking back at that particular game, I still feel it was a big piece to our confidence level and ultimately the success we had the next three years within the program. As a as a player, you know, I, I feel like as an older player, you try to, I mean, like you, you try to get extra motivation, you know, with those types of, if you want to call them, I guess, moral victories, you know, having a having a number one team on the ropes is that does so much for a young team like that. Um, and it sounds like it did for you all too. So we're, we're transitioning into, into year number two. What is, how does your role change um, as a sophomore uh, when you're walking on the court that next year? Yeah, I mean, I thought from, from day one of that sophomore year, I knew that I was going to have to be a consistent scorer for our team to be really good. Uh, we also had a really nice freshman join the program uh, by the name of Brandon Myers, you know, a good offseason acquisition. And he was within the school system, so it's not like he just moved in and showed up. We knew he Another was going to be there. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so right away, we were going to be better just by virtue of having him. And and then our senior class, one kid that I think made the biggest change in who he was as a player was a kid named Brandon Hazleton. Um, Dad was the athletic director, football coach, been around basketball and sports his whole life. He went from being our leading scorer as a junior on a really bad team to maybe being our fourth leading scorer as a senior, but being one of our best facilitators and a great playmaker for us. So uh, he took a really humble approach to that season. I think that was the biggest key in addition to adding a six, five monster and Brandon Myers to, to making the state tournament that sophomore year. When he came in, cause actually you mentioned AAU, he, he played with us on Eastern Iowa for a brief stint there, maybe, maybe one summer or so, but uh, so he came in and obviously just a, just a really good athlete overall. Was he, was his best sport football then when he walked in or was he uh, was, was, was he a basketball guy? Uh, it's funny you ask that because his best sport was far and away, no doubt about it, was baseball. No kidding. Um, he was a stud on the baseball diamond. I think, you know, in, in Iowa, you can play baseball at the varsity level as an eighth grader. And I think he broke the single, don't quote me on this, but I think he may have broken the single season home run record as the eighth grader for our varsity baseball team. Um, so he was a stud. And then ba basketball was his second best sport and football was then the third sport. And it's weird how the world works. Um, and I give Brandon crap about this all the time. He had a great freshman year. Um, he had Steve Alford calling him. I mean, he had major, major interest uh, throughout college basketball. And going into what would have been my junior year and his sophomore year of football, you know, we both decided we weren't going to play football and spend our time going over to Central College in Pella, Iowa and working out with guys like Pierce Hidman and Clayton Corver. 
And for whatever reason, about a week into practice, we both kind of hit the panic button. Like, oh boy, we're missing this. We need to be playing football. And I actually pushed the panic about three days before Brandon did. So I joined the football team and then he decided, okay, I'm going to play football as well. So to this day, I'm still looking for my minor cut of those salaries he got over the years. <laughs> haven't seen maybe of a, of a meal here and there, but uh, just, just glad that, that all worked out the way it did. Yeah, it uh, it worked out for sure. And that's that that's actually very funny you mentioned that because my sophomore year, so this exact same year, it sounds like, uh, I actually went out for cross country, ran one race, went out for football the next day uh, after that cross, cross country race. So I, uh, I, I actually hit a panic button as well on football, but uh, um, obviously a good player too. And, you know, we can, uh, you know, we can talk a little bit about, you know, how we, um, you know, how we ran into each other that year too. But one question I wanted to ask when we played you guys in the state tournament, all our coach talked about was off the tip, Brandon's tipping it, going in for a lob and dunk. How many times did that work that year? Enough that I don't recall the number. Because <laughs> I, I, I actually believe it worked against us too. And that's, that is legit. All of our, all our coaches talked about in the locker room before that game. And here's a shout out to another great high school program, a slightly before us. That was a, a stolen play from Dyke New Hartford. They ran it against us too. in uh, my freshman year uh, for Derek Weber, D Weber. Yep, and uh, man, we just, he was maybe, a freaking maybe, nature. Maybe we're just not athletic enough to defend that in uh, at AGWSR, but uh, but it seemed to work against us every time. I think it worked against a lot of teams for both Dyke and us. <laughs> that is good. That is good. So you mentioned uh, obviously that year, you know, you have to kind of step into more of a scoring role, more of a you know maybe leadership on the core role. Um, and obviously ended up having having a good year, made the state tournament. What do you what do you remember about that year? Um, any games specifically at all? Yeah, quite a few of them. Um, but just the tournament run. I mean, I don't know how it is in other small towns, but I know in our community, it's just like a, a light switch turns on when the, the tournament play begins. Now, we always got great crowds, and, and it was an awesome atmosphere to play in. But you could just feel with each passing round, more and more fans showing up and jumping on the bandwagon. And um, our big rival uh, is Pella Christian, always has been, probably always will be. And we had beaten them, I think, 10 or 12 in the regular season. And Every year those pairings come out and sure enough, they're going to be in our road to the state tournament somewhere. And we did have to play them. It was actually in the uh, district final game. And so it was one of those where we knew we'd already beaten them. So we had a confidence about ourselves, but we also knew it's a program that just played for a state championship the year before, had a lot of nice pieces coming back. So I think that was the game outside of the state tournament. Um, that really was probably the biggest. And then we had two really epic state tournament games. Uh, in my opinion, the, the first round game, we played Eagle Grove, who had Ryan O'Hearn as a great point guard. Um, they had another me, but I know he was a great player for him. And we were fortunate enough to make a shot at the buzzer, um, literally as the buzzer sounded to win that game. Um, and then the next round, I'm not sure how much I really want to talk about, but we fell in overtime to the to the fighting Adam Beats, as I call him, in another just great high school game. I mean, the wrong team won from my perspective, but if you're just a basketball junkie, it would have been a great game to get to watch. Uh, would agree with that. Just a great game. And I actually, you know, looking at the scores here for your Eagle Grove game um, was the, so, so they had Ryan O'Hearn, obviously, as you mentioned, really good, really good, solid point guard, very, very, um, you know, heady as a point guard, but they had another, another kid. I think his last name was Jensen. Yeah. Brett Jensen. Yeah. He played baseball. Yeah. The pitcher. Played baseball, right? Yeah. 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 
who was a that is good, right who was a good big man right wasn't he brian correct yeah he was long long and lengthy and yeah was athletic enough that he could uh was kind of the start of the stretch for it felt like for that era like he kind of didn't shoot it all that well, but he'd like to catch out at the perimeter and take one, two bounce and get down the lane. That's yeah, exactly just a, who it was. yeah, just a real good, real good athlete. And yeah, like you said, Brian went to went on to pitch for Nebraska against us. Todd was just a great game. I I played like played like crap to be honest, but uh, you know, anytime you can have that good of well, you know, well coached teams with good basketball players on them um, at the state tournament, that's 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 what you want, right? Um, you know, I remember, I remember multiple times during that game thinking that, that we're not going to win this game and, you know, trying to guard Brandon, trying to guard you was just almost impossible. But what do you, uh, you, you, after that, obviously there were, there were, there was a constellation game too, um, you know, after that game as well. So what do you, you remember about that, you know, after, after that loss, um, you know, trying to, trying to get up to play cascade and from the way it looks, that was a, that was a close one too. Yeah, that was another really good game. Um, I do recall just the, you know, naturally when you're a high school kid, whether it be a 15 year old sophomore or an 18 year old senior, just the emotion that goes through with losing a game of that magnitude and the fashion that we lost it. Um, it was really challenging to get out to play the next game. You know, you, your coaches sold the, Hey, it's another opportunity to play in the barn. You know, most kids would dream again to do this and you're going to do it for a third time. And all those things were true, but like most kids and even us as adults, sometimes you, you take things for granted. And I think a lot of us, including myself, took the opportunity to get to lace the shoes up and put the uniforms up and represent your community one more time. Um, we didn't have the luster that we would, and I'm sure Cascade didn't either, but uh, at the end of the day, it was still a very close, tight basketball game. I, I think it ended up, was it a one point game? Is that what it's showing you there? Yeah. Yep. 52, 51. So a bit deceiving. Um, Brandon Myers hit a half court shot at the buzzer to cut that from a four point game to a one point game. So it was still a tight game, but there wasn't any, climatic finish where a guy makes a play or a block shot or you name it to to seal or win the game so do you guys share a mutual hatred for danville or how does that all kind of shake out here i mean i I can share my hatred for danville (laughs) you know i i i was on the hate train for a long long time um just i mean just uh here for our listeners we lost by 17 points in the state finals against against danville uh I believe Jake Winnick as a sophomore just just played incredible. He's a he was a stud back in the day. Um, yeah, so the, there were there was a period of time that I was on the hate train too for sure. And I will say this about Danville: as much as I despised that they beat us in that game, which would have been my junior year, that two year run that they made was unbelievably impressive. And specifically the second year, um, Jake Winnick had to hit like the half court or slightly longer than half court shot in the first round to send the game to overtime against Grundy center. He blocked a shot of mine at the rim at the buzzer to win the semifinal game. And then they're down to call a timeout and go for three. And he hits the front of the rim, bounces up about six feet, drops through the center of the net as the buzzer goes off against um, Gardner Hayfield, who had the two, the two giants, um, Brandon Stromer and uh, Sean Wumpkiss. Was that the other name there, Adam? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. even though I have distaste, I do have a, a great respect for the run right. that they made in that time. Yeah. W- Wenig was uh, 
draws comparisons to Luka Doncic. I felt like like sneaky, strong, sneaky, athletic, could kind of do it all. Just you played at his speed. Like you weren't gonna do. Oh, yeah, man. we're going to speed him up. He's going to, I'm just going to get where I want to get to. And like, from, from a perspective, like sitting in the stands, you're like, all right, that, that's the dude. Like you look at him and you're like, that's, that's <laughs> the dude. And, and then, not to, and not to mention he was on my A team for a couple of years. He's the guy that shows up like three minutes late for a game and just walks in, goes to the scores table, checks in, and then we'll bust you for 25 in the first half. I mean, he, I, I don't know when it, at all, but just watching him down in the state tournament, I mean, he looks like a dude that shows up with the shorts under the jeans, drops the jeans and goes out <laughs> and hangs at the 30 ball on. Yeah. I mean, that dude. And Todd, you mentioned it, that shot he hit against Gardner to win it. Like say hit the front of the rim, rolls over the front. But that's the way that that state tournament was going for them. You like, you knew that that was going to happen. Like that was just one of those deals that, uh, that you just knew that was going to happen. And, and then you mentioned it. I mean, you talked a little bit about it earlier, Todd, but uh, you guys must really enjoy Constellation games because that year then you went into the Constellation against Beckman, uh, took it into overtime, but ended up getting beat by nine. So you have this love-hate relationship with Beckman or with uh, Constellation games then too, or what? That's a fair point. You know, I had already referenced kind of the, the immaturity of not valuing that next game. And I think we were a little bit more in tune um, that following year had been, having been through it one time. But again, it's still tough for a uh, for young kids to get up for, and um, you know Beckman was obviously. Anytime you're playing a team that's in the semifinals of the state tournament, you're playing a really good team. So it's not like losing is shameful in any way. But um, still, both teams probably didn't have quite the juice that they would have if that game had been playing on Friday night. Yeah, that's just always that's always tough to be able to. It's it's one of those things where obviously now with them not playing the consolation game you can see both sides of it. Like you said, you just came off a really tough loss and you're kind of like, Oh geez. But then I feel like from a young team perspective too, it's a really great opportunity to now maybe get you another opportunity to play in the well, get used to the hoops, you know, get prepared for an opportunity to make a run back. Uh, if you're a senior led team, it does, it's kind of like, okay, what are, you know, what's the point, but uh, it, it is too bad that we've kind of gone away from the association of, of doing the constellation game and getting those kids another opportunity to play under um, those circumstances. Yep. No, I, like you said, I see both sides of the spectrum on that as well. Well, good. So where in this process did recruiting come about? When did all of a sudden, you know, you're playing high level uh, basketball in the summer AU um, you know, you're playing with a lot of guys that uh, are getting attention. You're putting up gaudy numbers in high school. Uh, when did the recruitment start to happen? And when did you start seriously kind of thinking about next steps and what you wanted to do in college? Partly in the junior year, but uh, really at the end of that junior year, the state tournament run, uh, I was fortunate to play really well in that state tournament and started to to get some interest. I, I remember the two that that got me super excited are actually three situations. And you know, looking back now, I'm like, okay, you're an idiot, Todd. There wasn't, you know, true interest there. But, um, you know, Drake had reached out, which, okay, local kid in state, 30 miles down the road. If they don't reach out, they're not doing their job. Um, but I'll come back to that touching portion of that in a second. Um, and then Rice University in Texas. Um, somebody's dad who had a kid on staff at Texas or at Rice lived in Iowa or knew somebody from Iowa and told their staff they needed to reach out, and they called. And I thought that was, like, the coolest thing ever. I was ready to pack my bags and move to Rice and play basketball there. <laughs> um, and then at one point, Iowa State had maybe 
talked to an assistant at DMAC and said, hey, if he may be interested in walking on, we'd take him as a preferred walk on. So those were the three that I thought were a pretty big deal. Um, but ultimately, it, it was your small colleges here in the state of Iowa or, or regionally in the Midwest where I had a lot of opportunities and interest. And so then when did you finally make that decision? And do you remember kind of feeling a sense of relief or what are you, or excitement or a little nervous or a little bit of all three or what uh, ultimately tipped the scales to, to make that decision for you? Yeah, I think any kid who gets to go through that process uh, is going to be excited, and rightfully so. I mean, you put in a lot of hours and play a lot of games, a lot of practices to to earn those opportunities. Um, so I had kind of narrowed my my situation down to to two NAI schools, Grandview University and Northwestern College in Orange City. And then going back to the Drake conversation, one of their assistants by the name of Marty Bell um, took the Quincy University job in Quincy, Illinois. And he had only seen me play a couple times, primarily with our AAU team, because they had recruited Clayton Corver and he had committed and signed with them. But their other assistant had spent a lot more time watching um, our particular AAU team and even myself in high school. And he said, this needs to be your first call. He's the he's the first freshman in your class that you want to sign. And fortunately, he gave me an opportunity. And that's where I ended up for that freshman year. Yeah, that is awesome. It's, it's interesting how, and obviously we'll get to your experience on the coaching side of things on how change happens. Uh, that is part of the business, part of the profession and being able to keep those contacts, first make those contacts. And then as things change, um, this is obviously all pre-portal stuff. It uh, can all happen and change and people can flip pretty quickly. Uh, even back then, now it's at light speed compared to what it was uh then but uh so then once you once you landed on quincy what do you remember about kind of that welcome to college basketball moment i feel like we all have that where you get there and whether it's a weightlifting session or you know your first pickup or your or first practice where you're like ooh, this this is a little bit different level than what i was playing in high school yeah no it didn't take long so we uh, we had two guards that were from leo high school in uh, inner city chicago and they were both big thick strong dudes and um i played a lot in the post as a high school kid just kind of an undersized post guy who could create and make plays on top of my stuff on the perimeter so i was trying to take you know our five nine you know senior point guard from chicago down to the block and next thing i knew i was standing on the sideline because he, he rooted me out so far i had no chance to stay on the block so that was one of my first moments of, oh, boy, what's going on? Um, and then this same guard, who had been a three-year starter for the team, he was a really nice player, a good dude. They, he was good to me. But anytime I tried to use my spin move, he kind of let me spin, and then he'd tip it from behind with his, with his outside hand or his top hand. And I just, for the life of me, could not figure that out. It took me about two weeks to realize how to maneuver that particular move without getting the ball stolen. And that's when I – it definitely hit me that anything that I used to do may not be valid. I'd have to be prepared to make a lot of changes to my game if I wanted to be successful. Yeah, isn't that the truth? It's always uh, a big learning curve. And then it's a matter of figuring out, you know, and finding ways in which to still be effective. And like you said, oftentimes get uncomfortable to be able to find growth and to ways to get better. And so how long did you end up uh, staying at Quincy? Because I know then you came back home, right? And you, you played at Grandview, but uh, what was your, how long were you at Quincy and what do you, what was your biggest takeaway from that experience? Yeah, I, I only stayed there for the one year um, and it was a good year. It was great for my growth as a player. And even as a person, it was only three and a half hours away from home. But as an 18 year old kid, that's still a decent job when all your weekends are eating up with hoops or workouts or recruiting events with guys come 
come to campus, but um, it, it was good. I, I was fortunate. I was the sixth man on that team, played about 18 minutes a night as a freshman, which at that point in my life, I didn't realize how challenging that was to do um, at, at any level of college basketball, much less the scholarship level. Um, so my, my best memory from there was we played nationally ranked Finley University. I think they were top 10. And I had eight, uh, excuse me, 11 points, went three for three from the arc, got to got to have a big piece to that. So that was really cool. And in an exhibition game, we got to go to Hinkle Fieldhouse. So I already referenced Hoosiers watching that as a high school or as a young kid growing up with the high school boys. And um, it was exhibition, so nobody cares. It didn't count. But Todd, Lick, Todd Licklider was the coach who ultimately went to Iowa. And I had my best game of my career there. I went three for three from the arc, two for two from the foul line for 11 points, couple assists, no turnovers. Uh, and then it just kind of went downhill from there. <laughs> you, you know, as as it does, it's not, uh, unfortunately, it's not always roses for everybody. And there's there's times in which it's you uh, either win or you learn, right? And uh, get, an, get an opportunity to, to figure out what you want to do. And so uh, you, you kind of mentioned Grandview was in the running out of high school was it something then when you were looking to make a change that that uh, became an an easy fit or an easy answer or, or how did that transition come about for you yeah i think like a lot of kids even in this area when you decide to make a change you, you probably have a couple schools in mind if not the school and for me uh, when i decided quincy was was going to be the place i wouldn't return to i knew i was going to grandview it was a done deal in my mind logistics as far as getting transfers uh credits transferred getting scholarship situations set up so it was a done deal for me to be a viking and so then showing up uh back here in central iowa and getting an opportunity to go be a viking um what what did you remember about kind of getting to know that team and to i think probably would assume that you felt like you're back home and an opportunity to make a difference and so uh, what do you remember about stepping out and one of the first times getting to put on that jersey and play with those guys? Yeah, no, I, and actually I want to spill the coaching stuff into this. I started on my recruiting process right away. So um, I decided I was going to Grandview. First phone call I made was Reggie Hoy, who had redshirted at Southwest Baptist in Bolivar, Missouri, and just said, Reggie, we got to get the band back together. Let's do this. Let's get back home. You know, you were redshirt and they got a new coach. You're not sure if you're even going to have a real, you know, opportunity, even if you are good enough, all these things. And so I got Reggie to come in. So now we've got Reggie and I'm thinking, all right, we've got two D2 transfers. We're going to wreck this league up. We've got a, a really good stretch four man by the name of Nate Tigas, who was a Coon Rapids um, Bayard High School graduate. was a great player in high school, a great player in college. Had a Juco All-American from Iowa Lakes join us. So, you know, I sure thought, hey, we're going to be really good. And then we really felt the final piece to the puzzle was added when we convinced Brett Baumgart, who was an Iowa City West graduate, played at Kirkwood Community College, to he was going to just stop playing basketball after he led Kirkwood to the national tournament. But we convinced him to come play. Um, so that was kind of my first memories of remembering that and then thinking, all right, we're going to be really, really good. And we went on the road to a to a like a classic tournament at Mid-American Nazarene, went 2-0. and um, So I'm thinking, oh, boy, this is going to be great. And then reality kicked in. Um, you know, NAI basketball is great basketball. And we had an okay year, ended up going 15 and 15. But uh, it was great to be back home. I remember our first home game, my mom, my dad, my grandma, my sisters. I mean, the entire family was there. So it was 
the reasons I wanted to be at Grandview, um, all those boxes got checked for me. Good. And then you you mentioned, obviously, with the re- recruiting, and it feels like maybe this has been the path since you were a little kid and growing up in the gym, but when did you start to know or start to connect the dots that, hey, coaching is going to be my path as well? This is something that I clearly have the passion for and that I love. Um, do you remember kind of having that realization or was there never really a moment because it was just kind of all arrows were leading towards that the whole way? There were three real key moments that I recall. One was my sophomore, that first year at Grandview when I thought, you know what, my dream was to be a business owner. That's what I wanted to do. I wanted to own a sports store. Um, but that sophomore year, I thought, you know what, I love this game. I might want to stick around this a little bit longer, but I did not want to teach. I don't know like how or why I just, I knew that was not in the cards for me. So that was the first one. Uh, the second one was my senior year of college when I just consciously decided like, Hey, I'm going to pursue this. You know, I'm going to take the five-year road. I might not make much money. I might be living in a dorm. I might be eating at the calf every day, but I'm going to take five years and commit all to doing this. And then the final straw where I knew like, Hey, this is what I'm meant to be doing was that first year out of playing. I stayed at Grandview when I started my master's degree and thankfully nothing bad happened, but coach Schaefer, um, got ill about 20 minutes before a game. And I remember going back to grab him and saying, Hey, we need to go do our pregame speech. And he's like, Hey, I'm not feeling very well. I'll just go give the speech. I'll be ready by tip off. Don't worry about it. So I go give the pregame speech talking about who our matchups are keys to the game. And we go out to warm ups and, uh, I see the AD walk in. He's kind of got this concerned look. He said, Hey Todd, um, you know, we're not sure what's going on, but coach is going to have to go to the hospital you're going to have to run the show tonight. I'm thinking, oh boy, here we go. Uh, we're playing Simpson College. Bruce Wilson, he's been coaching there for three decades, won five bazillion games. And I thought, oh, we just got no chance. We're going to get out coach. We're going to get out maneuvered, everything you can dream of. Um, we did lose the game 55 to 53, if I do recall. Uh, but what I remember from that game was just being totally in my element, being so locked into every detail of what was going on on both sides of the basketball. And then what really gave me great confidence was down to last possession of the game, we had the basketball and we had a timeout, drew up a play, got a great shooter, a great look, just didn't go down. And I just, I, I vividly remember after that game, knowing a, this is what I want to do. B, I think this is what I meant to do and C, I think I can be pretty darn good at this if I put the time and energy into it. That's awesome. That, like I said, that's, that's sometimes a situation where, you don't have those moments or those realizations. So when you do have those that you can look back on, um, especially when you get an opportunity, because obviously it's not always flowers when you're in this grind of things and you have those memories to look back on and to think back, it can be a good motivation for you to be like, Hey, this is why I got into this. This is why I'm doing this. If I remember this, I remember that time. Um, and it definitely helps. And so then what, where from there? So then what was the next step? Well, you, you're like, okay, I, I, I like that fact that you kind of put a timeline on it too. You say, hey, I'm going to give this five years to try to make the most of it, see what I can do. You know, I know we got several stops along the way, but what was, what was the next one then? What was the next move to, to test this coaching water? Yeah. I mean, it's so weird how this profession works. Um, Zach Silverman, who was another great player from the state of Iowa at Fairfield Maharishi, He was actually coaching at NIAC, the JUCO, and he was committed to going to the University of Nebraska Omaha to be their second assistant, which was kind of like a pseudo GA assistant spot. And I had interviewed at 
essentially going to take that job in the next 24 hours. And Zach calls me and says, Hey, I just want to give you a heads up. I was going to take this. I decided I don't want to coach. I'm moving to New York. I'm going to get in the business world. Would you be interested? I'm like, well, Omaha sounds a little better than Wayne, Nebraska. It's closer to home, better program at the time, blah, 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 blah. All right. So I gave him a call and fortunately their head coach had a very strong relationship with Orv Salman at DMAC, who I had developed a relationship with through the recruiting process and his uh, relationship with my father. And two days later, I'm driving to Omaha. I interview for the day. By the end of the night, I have the job offer. And two weeks later, I'm moving to Omaha. That's crazy. That's crazy. And so then you were, you, uh, were at Nebraska Omaha as the assistant. Um, looks like until 2011, which then you had an opportunity to head uh, to Truman. And so Truman, how did that opportunity come about for you? Yep. So uh, Truman at the time had just hired a new head coach, Matt Woodley, who's obviously been in the Iowa area much of his life and has had a great success at the college level. Um, his father had started the football program at Grandview University. So Matt, in that situation, got to know the guys at Grandview, primarily Dennis Schaefer, the head coach who I had played for and ultimately worked for for one year. And that was my biggest in was to get that opportunity at Truman was, you know, just him trusting what Coach Schaefer had to say. And so I remember I had, I don't remember where the location was, but we had lunch somewhere in Des Moines because he was just finishing up his time at Waukee High School. And I interviewed for about four hours with him over lunch and we really hit it off. And two days later, I had a job offer and was packing up my bags to, to move to Kirksville, Missouri. And so moving over to, to Missouri, getting another opportunity to learn from another coach, another system. Um, obviously recruit a different territory. It feels like all this kind of leading up to, you know, continued step and continued growth in your professional career. Um, and so I spent a couple of years, a couple of seasons there and then get an opportunity to become a head coach. Uh, Iowa Westland comes knocking. And so what do you remember about having the opportunity to get into the, the head chair? Was it something that you were hungry and ready for? And then ultimately, were you ready for, or was there again, going back to that moment where you're like, Oh, wow. Uh, now this is on me to to call the shots. Yeah, no, it's uh, I was probably overly eager to find that head coaching opportunity, which I think is a natural thing for a young assistant coach. Um, was I ready? Absolutely not. Uh, and, and Matt Woodley, he gave a great analogy. He's like, Todd, it's like being a parent. You're never fully ready. You just got to do it and figure it out. And he's 100% right. Uh, the one thing I vividly remember from that first year at Iowa Wesleyan was there was a particular game. We had two different post-trap coverages. And they were significantly different than each other. And I was trying to switch them up in, in game, the two coverages. And that's the reason we lost a game. And I, it was a big moment for me because it just hit me like, hey, you can only do so much um, in the time that you have, especially in the first year. Simplify it. Get really good at what you do. And I think I've used that to my advantage um, at other spots in my career. Yeah, it's funny how you're able to take those little nuggets. And, and like you said, too, kind of from being the head coach is so different going from the first chair or from the second chair to the first chair, just because those in-game adjustments um, are no longer suggestions. Like, hey, maybe we do this. Maybe we try this. Now it's on you. Like now you, you're making that, you're calling the shots, um, taking the feedback and trying to make those adjustments along the way. And um, because of that, then, you know, the old adage is uh, obviously if you lose, it's, it's on the head coach. And so you start to take those things a little bit differently. 
Um, but then had an, another opportunity after that one one season there to move to Southwestern Community College to become the head coach uh, over there. And so what was the deal with that? Why, why, why the change? And ultimately, what were you excited about? Yeah, so the, the appeal there was I was not only our head coach, I was the athletic director as well. So it was a chance to continue to build my resume, not only on the coaching side of it, but from the administration portion as well. Honestly, I didn't think I wanted to be an AD. Um, it wasn't a goal that I truly had, but when the opportunity arose, I thought it was something that would be really good to pursue just to potentially open up other doors down the road. Um, I didn't play Juco basketball. I was familiar with it. I knew the Iowa league was one of the best that there was out there. Um, so I kind of was, I was too dumb to know what I was getting myself into um, because that league from top to bottom is unbelievable. And Historically, Southwestern hasn't been one of the stronger programs within that league. I mean, the location might not be the greatest. The budgets weren't the best. The salaries weren't the best. The facilities weren't the best. I mean, there were a lot of a lot of reasons why Southwestern can be a tough job. Uh, but like I said, I was too dumb to know or too dumb to care. I just hit the ground running and said, we're going to find a way to win uh, no matter what our situation is. Well, and you did that um, in your time there, went going 113 and 25, including a national championship uh, in the 2017 season. And so um, ignorance is definitely bliss. It feels like you having an opportunity to not really know or care what you're getting into and just start putting in the work. What do you think was some of the biggest changes that you were able to do? Obviously, it's going out throughout this whole story and talking with you tonight. Recruiting is a big thing um, in which that you are passionate about and that you do very well. So I assume that that had a big role. Um, but what else as far as trying to change the culture and to, to making a winning program? You know, junior college basketball is basically what all levels of college basketball is right now. Your team's going to be almost brand new every single year. Um, it's very rare to have fluidity at the junior college level. And with the portal that seeped into all, all levels of it right now. But, you know, again, kind of dumb luck. We didn't know what we didn't know. So we were in a situation where as you get those random emails, I got the job July 27th or so, um, late July. So we didn't really have time to evaluate much or to really hit the ground running from recruiting. So any email that we got, we followed up on it. We took probably five or six guys that most years we might not have for one reason or another. And two or three of those players ended up being really, really good players for us and ultimately helped us turn the corner in year one, made the conference tournament, uh, had a home game, won a home game, won 22 games or 23 games, I believe it was. And that parlayed into the next year. And, and here's where the world gets small again. So one of our recruits that we took from a random email that we may not have taken in a normal recruiting cycle one of his buddies ended up coming. He was a two-year starter and one of the starters on our national championship team. His young brother transferred in. He was an All-American on our conference championship team. So it's just a small world and, and it's when, when you're right to people and you're there for the right reasons and you challenge them, but also you know care for them, they're going to feed paper for them. And you never know where that's going to come from or how it's going to come. In that situation, it was, you know, some really good players put in our hands. That's awesome. That had to have definitely been a, a, a fun experience. It's always fun. It feels to be on the building side. And when you have an opportunity to, as we mentioned, kind of ch change the culture and the mindset and, you know, winning's fun as well. That's obviously what we're, we're all out here to do. But to, to see those kids come in and have some success and put everything together had to have been definitely a fun ride. And, and like I said, recruiting is a big part of that. And so did you miss the memo that recruiting to division three is 
almost impossible or <laughs> talk to me about the change then to BV and what, uh, what was the, the stop up and storm like for a year like for you? Yeah. So, so the reality in the profession, so if there's any listeners out there who are considering the college route is, is there's so many layers to it. You've got to be really good at what you do. You've got to be fortunate to get some breaks and you've got to have strong relationships with people who can help you find that next opportunity. And, and I got beat down by the profession a little bit. I had a couple of job opportunities that I felt and some others that had strong information within it, I was the strongest and most viable and it all makes sense candidate. And both those jobs I got passed up for, um, what I came to found, find out was the person who was hired had a family connection within the community who was going to make sure that program was taken care of financially. And that's just the reality of our world, you know, money speaks. And so at that point, after those two things happened, I said, I'm going to take the best four-year opportunity that I can find whenever that is, whether that's next off season or the following off season. And, and BV has got a tremendous history. Brian Van Haften has done an, did an unbelievable job with that program um, year over year. And the reality for me was I went from being an AD and a head coach and an adjunct instructor to being just a head men's basketball coach and got about a 25% raise out of the whole situation. So um, it was a pretty easy decision from that perspective. Um, and, and the one year stand at BV, um, I enjoyed my time at, at Buena Vista. Storm Lake uh, was good to me. Um, and ultimately there were just some, some inside factors of new opportunities that led to me leaving there. Like you said, you had one year an opportunity to, is, let's see, 18, 19. Is this the American Rivers or are we still Iowa Conference at this time when you were, when you were there? It was the American Rivers and I'm not sure if it was the first year or second year, but it was definitely in the, the very first stages of it. Okay. It's a, we still refer to it on the pod as the Iowa conference as I feel like most should, but um, yeah. So American rivers switching over to the American rivers, bringing Nebraska Westland um, into the league who oh just happens to be really good when they first come over into the league as well. Um, but then you, you talked about it, having an opportunity to go then to Mount Marty. Uh, it sounds like, again, as as we continue to connect the dots here on your coaching path, there's always a connection. And so you had a connection at uh, Mount Marty and and talk to us a little bit about that change. Yeah. So so the AD at Mount Marty, Chris Casson, was a good friend of mine from the profession. He had been an assistant coach at South Dakota for, for a number of years and then transitioned into administration at Mount Marty. And um, it was a very humbling experience. I mean, if you haven't been through some of these small college processes, it's not like Texas Tech or Georgia or California. When they want to hire a new coach, they just pull out the checkbook and they say, you're our guy. Here's what it's going to be. Do you want the job? At the small college level, I mean, you're, you have to apply. You've got to do a phone interview. You've got to do a Zoom interview. You've got to come to campus. I mean, it is a, a long process. And Mount Marty, the AD, calls said, hey, you're my guy. Like, you don't have to. Like, he goes, you'll have to come interview, but you're not interviewing. You just come here, do your thing for the day give me your resume, the job's yours. So uh, it was pretty humbling from that perspective because I knew he wanted me there. and He wanted me there bad. And I also had some inside information that a couple guys I had coached or coached against at the junior college level uh, were ready to transfer from their D2 schools. So our ability to flip the switch uh, with that program in a very quick fashion was going to be there. And those couple of factors were the reason I decided to go to Mount Marty. That's awesome. So they get an opportunity to go in there, um, spend two seasons there, get an, uh, an opportunity to try to figure out how to navigate COVID in a national pandemic. That had to have been a challenge. 
It was, you know, that first year that we were, that I was there, COVID hit right at the end of the season. And there's nothing in my heart that isn't convinced had that happened about three months earlier and that season got restored and we could have brought back the nucleus of that team and had a full off season to recruit a couple of guys that we wouldn't have been a top 10 national championship level team, but that wasn't in the cards. Um, so, you know, we had a great first year local guys, Jordan Johnson from Des Moines, Roosevelt, Chris King from Des Moines, Hoover. Uh, we ended up getting Chad Moran, who was a Lewis Central graduate. So we had a lot of Iowa blood on those couple of teams. Second year, um, like you said, COVID year, interesting year for everybody at all levels. We didn't have our first practice with our entire team until mid-January. I don't remember the date. It might have been January 12th. It might have been January 18th, but it was somewhere in that time frame. So we really struggled throughout the year. But once we finally got everybody, we had a combination of injuries and COVID issues. Once we got everybody together, we became a pretty formidable squad, ended up making the conference tournament championship game and fell to uh, Northwestern College in Orange City in a, in a very good matchup there. Yeah, those are wild times, times that honestly, I feel like there's like a block built in my memory that kind of almost like that didn't exist or trying to connect the dots is, can be difficult as it was just so, so awkward and felt like we were kind of in the upside down or something during those times. And so then you, but then you have a gap year here. So we're finally getting to get into the grace line and get an opportunity to come full, so full circle here. But uh, you talked about it earlier. You had this little, this itch that you had to scratch and that is you don't want to be a businessman and running a sports store and so you get an opportunity by doing this by uh finding find an opportunity to get into the sports industry or the sporting goods industry and, and have a chance to work a little bit with decker sports in which i know that you still do some rep work for them as well but uh so take me through a little bit of the gap year and then why graceland felt like a, a good fit to get back into the coaching profession yeah, you know, when I left Mount Marty and moved back here to Central Iowa, I've got a son that just is finishing up his freshman year at ADM and um, just kind of had that realization that that I needed to be more involved with his uh, upbringing. It had been great up to that point, but four and a half hours to South Dakota was just too far. The other stops, you know, your BVs, your um, your Southwestern, your Iowa Westlands, you know, you're about a two hour time frame, um, which wasn't great, but it was manageable. And I was honestly, in my mind, I was done coaching college basketball. I was moving back to Des Moines. I was going to sell sporting goods. I was going to coach with Kingdom Hoops and local AAU program and just find my gratitude and joy and ability to impact young people's lives through those avenues. And for the first four or five months, it was unbelievably great. I was loving life, the reduced stress, um, you know, the reduced workload. And it became around the holiday season. I would say that Thanksgiving, Christmas time frame where, you know, I was just like, what am I doing? Like, you know, I enjoyed the sporting goods. I still enjoy it, but it wasn't the same. I didn't have the fulfillment that coaching gave me. And it was kind of in that time frame that I just realized, okay, I'm going to make sure that I do what I'm doing at a high level through this year. But when the off season hits, I'm going to be open to pursuing whatever opportunities may be available essentially within a 90 minute radius, which is a pretty small, you know, list of schools when you really get down to it. So as time progressed, um, again, here's how the world is really small. My assistant at BV um, was working in Sioux Falls with Warwick Workouts, which is a really good entity there in the Sioux Falls area. Well, Taylor Langley, the head coach at Graceland had reached out to him. Hey, would you want to come be my assistant? And at the time, Matt, my buddy just wasn't quite ready to make the jump. He was in a 
you know, serious relationship in Sioux Falls, didn't want to move, just couldn't make the itch scratched. And I said, well, I'm going to give you two more days to say yes to this. If not, I'm going to call Taylor and have coffee with him and see what we might be able to do. He goes, don't wait two days, call him now. Like I'm not going to do it. I said, okay. Called Taylor. Um, and he was bringing a recruit back to the Des Moines airport to fly back home. I was in West Des Moines. We met at the local Panera just off of um, I forget MLK, whatever the road is there, right by the airport talked for about two hours. Um, and then three days later he called and said, Hey, I'd really love for you to be my assistant. So I got all my you know, necessary HR application stuff in and 48 hours later, everything went through and I was working at Graceland university. Wow. How about that? It's uh, it's a small world and it's even smaller in the coaching profession. If, if we haven't already pointed that out a thousand times throughout this podcast, this is definitely very evident. And so going into Grayson, then you kind of know a little bit, uh, again, as far as history and with that program, um, I believe coming off an eight and 22 season prior to you getting there. And so what was kind of first order of business? What was something that you wanted to kind of come in and start to make your presence felt in one way or another once you uh, got through all HR and got the legal stuff done and had an opportunity to get the kids back on campus? Yeah, so through the summer, we had one very important goal. We had a, a very strong scholarship available that we needed to get a starter, all-conference level type of player to fill. And that was really our one one track mind was who is this guy? We didn't really care about position. It could be anybody that was just a major impact and relationship world. Here we go. Um, a guy by the name of Sami Rowe. Uh, his dad actually played in the NBA for a while, but he was at University of Nebraska, Omaha, uh, was going to leave there to use his COVID in graduate year. Well, where had I coached before? UNO. So I knew those guys, reached out to them, kind of got the inside scoop on, you know, how I could best attack the recruitment of him. And it was a tough sell. We had to beat out a couple of high-level NAI schools like Georgetown College, which is traditionally one of the better programs throughout the nation. Uh, LSU Alexandria, who's a really strong program right now. Um, and got his services to come play for us. So that was the, the job for the summer. Uh, when we got back, I was really looking forward to kind of getting back to that relationship role that the assistant coach can have. I mean, as a head coach, you have to have a strong relationship with your players, but I don't care what anybody says, it's different. You know, when you're really dictating the playing time and the final decisions, it can't be quite as good of a relationship from that perspective. So I was just excited to to get to go back to the other side and just really dive into our guys and who they were and what they were about and how I could benefit them. And I think um, that was a very enjoyable process for me. And, and kind of for all you coaches out there who maybe listen, whether you're at the high school level, um, the AU level, the college level, it's a very natural thing for the business to wear you down, whether it's the long hours, the low pay, the parents, the losses, you name it. Um, it's tough. We all know that. And like I had referenced earlier, I had been beaten down by that at one time, but my year away from the game just really reminded me and refreshed my mindset on how much I loved what I got to do those years prior. And so I came in with a brand new mindset of just being all about how can I benefit our guys? How can I make their day-to-day -day better? How can I make them better players? How can I improve this program? And I think just that very simple mindset, if, if you do that day in and day out, the rest of the stuff most oftentimes is going to take care of itself. And fortunately for our program that did this year. Yeah, quite the turnaround. Like maybe I didn't mention. So you guys end up this past year, 18 and 11 um, on the year. So a uh, 10 game improvement from the previous year. So talk to me a little bit about looking here at your schedule. First game of the year, October 30th, heading back to Yankton, South Dakota. 
to take on Mount Marty. What uh, a little bittersweet feeling on that heading back up that way. It, it was, you know, it was unique because a lot of guys on that roster were players that I recruited and got a chance to even, you know, either recruited and or coached them. Um, so, yeah, it, it was very odd. I'll be honest. It was an uncomfortable, like just awkward feeling. But it was great to see a lot of familiar faces, people that I developed very close relationships over those two years and um, on the breaks off of us. It was one of those games where afterwards we all kind of looked at each other as coaches. And thought, oh, here it goes. It's, it's not going to be any better this year than it was last year. Um, but thankfully, it was just a, it was a passing moment. I mean, we were a new team. We had three new coaches on two new coaches joining another coach. So all three coaches had very little familiarity with each other coming into the season, had a lot of new faces on our roster. So we just took a deep breath and said, hey, it's not going to happen right away. We may take some lumps here in the first semester, but if we can be playing our best basketball by February 1, find a way to get in the conference tournament. Let's see what happens. Well, and then even then you turn around and your first, you win your next four. So you win your first four there in November. And so you have to be feeling a little bit better about how things are going. Um, and then, as you mentioned, you get into February and uh, go on another, what, four or five game winning streak uh, through in, in into the conference uh, tournament. And so what do you think is probably the biggest takeaway, not only for you being back in the assistant chair, but also for the team then here moving forward and continued uh, continued growth here this next season? Yeah, so we're fortunate. We we have some very nice pieces coming back. We've got a starting five man who averaged 10 and seven. That's got another year and we are actually going to be able to appeal and have a very good chance to get another year. So he should have two years remaining. Uh, we've got a freshman guard who's about a six, four kid from Michigan who played, you know, 13, 14 minutes a night and had some really nice games against big, big opponents for us. So we're excited about his growth in the offseason. And then two or three other guys who played significant minutes that, that aren't, you know, they're not big time scorers. They're not going to jump off the stat line. They're not going to make the wild play, but they're just really solid role players that we can build around. So our job as a staff this offseason is we need to find, you know, two or three, you know, all conference level type guys to fill in around the great players that we already have. And then maybe find one or two more role players who can help us jump up from what we thought was a really good season to hopefully a national tournament type year. And, and even this past season, we finished seventh in our league. Five teams from our league made the national tournament. So when we're talking to recruits, we try to emphasize, like, you're coming to play in the Big Ten of NAI. You know, we might finish third or fourth place in our league, but we just have to get in that final tournament. And if we get in that tournament, we start playing the right basketball at the right time. Anything can happen, including cutting down the nets on that last game of the year. Yeah, absolutely. Very competitive league. Um, obviously, top to bottom, it's, it's, it's night in and night out having to show up. Looking back through then getting Grandview twice has to has to feel pretty good, right? Yeah, I mean it was it was bittersweet. I I talked to Coach Schaefer, you know, if not daily, every other day. He's a great mentor, and at this point in our lives, he's a great friend, and I think dearly of him and the program that he's built. But uh, I'd be lying if I didn't say it felt really good to make sure we got the best of him both times this year. <laughs> Absolutely, that's uh, that's what you want. That's why we step out there on the court is to to be able to put a few together. And so, well, good. That's exciting. It sounds like you guys got quite a bit coming back. Looking forward um, to more and continued growth. What do you think was your biggest area of growth this past year? Getting an opportunity to have a little bit of a different perspective. Like you said, you came in refreshed from having an opportunity to kind of think about the importance, um, the, maybe the long game of the impact that you have on these players' lives. And then 
you know, getting to take a step back from that head position and be able to learn from the guys and kind of dive into them a little bit more. And so what was, what was something that you were just like, yeah, this, this is, this is my calling. This is what I was meant to do. What was a, a light bulb moment for you here this past season? I don't think there was quite that crazy light bulb this year. It was just, it was just so refreshing to be back. And and I know it's definitely different being a head coach than an assistant coach and, and there's no way around it. And my stress level was a lot less, um, but I think, having been in that chair and understanding the stress that the head coach is going through, I think I was able to serve him at a high level. And even in his days and, and moments of frustration, I think he felt uh, this calm confidence that he had two other guys. Cause our other assistant had been a head high school coach for 20 years. So we had a very relatable staff. Um, but ultimately, you know, at some point in time in my career, I do hope to be a head coach again. And I think this experience of a taking a year off, but then B sitting that assistant chair again and kind of understanding that this is the reality of what a head coach goes through. Um, I'll be much better served uh, to be a head coach again when that time comes. Well, that's great to hear, you know, and, and you've, uh, you've alluded to it a couple of times on the podcast here, Todd, but you know, you kind of taken things year by year and learning stuff every year um, obviously has served you very, very well. So, um, you know, cool to, to, to hear that and hear a little bit more about your background story, especially on the coaching side. Um, you know, we'll get you out of here after this last section. We uh, like to set up um, a section we call rapid fire where Brian's going to ask you a couple questions, some about basketball, some not, and you just let us know what comes right to your head. Man, I'm nervous now, but let's do it. <laughs> All right, here we go. First one we always start with is favorite visiting gym or arena you've had an opportunity to play and or coach in white auditorium in poria kansas that was quick Ooh. wow that, that, just that was... for for us iowa people think mini vets auditorium okay. okay i'm down for that i i i thought for sure you were gonna go hinkle Fieldhouse after you brought that story up earlier so i like that you said something different gotta keep you on your toes <laughs> that, that's great uh, do you have a game day routine or superstition, something that you have to do uh, on game day before? Uh, I used to be really good about working out every game day. And now as I've gotten older and lazy, I don't do that anymore. So I've lost some of the superstitions, but um, uh, just uh, game day. Got to love it. Got to enjoy it. Yeah, get excited about it. Um, all time starting five. In the history of basketball. Mm -hmm. Yep. All right. Well. I love small ball, so we're going small ball. I've got Magic Johnson as my five man. Cool. Okay, I've got my four man. We're going to go LeBron James because we do still need some beef. And then we're going Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, Steph Curry. Nice. This small ball. I like it. You get some shots up there. Oh, we'll, we'll be playing fast. <laughs> That'll be, yeah, that's uh everybody is on auto breakout dribble for sure um, absolutely i love it uh you spend a lot of time in the car a lot of time traveling i imagine that with that comes some pizza so who's got the best pizza in iowa well i grew up in small town iowa so casey's is always going to have that place in my heart um couple of years ago i became dairy and gluten free not by choice by force so right now my favorite is domino's when i have to go that route Ooh, i like okay. good domino's uh i like that too they're they're thin crust man domino's thin crust <laughs> low key it, i don't know if it's low key i'm, I'm getting it high key right now <laughs> I, I mean don't sleep on that that's for sure i unfortunately 
I don't know. We gotta try it in the house again because for a while I was the only one, so I can't I can't get it. But uh, I don't know. I think I got these kids more on the thin crust train now, so maybe we'll see what happens. Um, Economically was, friendly as well. It, yeah, it, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Can't go wrong with that. Uh, in college, uh, I think I, the it was called Ziggy's, and so the number was four nine five Zig. I think is what it was. We all we all had Domino's number memorized um for sure uh favorite sports movie Hoosiers saw that one coming with a, a B of for love of the game Ooh, okay that's a, that's a good one I like that one um hosting a hosting your own coaching clinic who are uh three coaches that you would doesn't matter if you know them or not or anything. We have yeah, we give you the the full coaching almanac that you can call anybody um, to come speak at your clinic. What three coaches are you calling? All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna go three guys and I'll give specific reasons. Roy Williams um, because he's one of the all time greats and he's recruited the state of Iowa at such a high level. <clears throat> so there's my big time name. Uh, my small town or my small time name is going to be Craig Doty at Emporia State University. He's one at every level he's ever been at, and he is just really good in that setting. He's a good friend of mine. I've got a chance to hear him speak, you know, multiple times, and he's always well-prepared and just does a tremendous job of presenting. And then for my third spot, okay, I want to go on the high school route, and I'm going to give a shout-out to the local Waukee Northwest, uh, Brett Watson. He was a great player in this state. I know he left the state to play college, but now he's been back at multiple schools in Iowa and doing a great job at the high school level. And his success these last couple of years speaks for itself. That uh, yeah, that's a good one. We're we're big fans of Watson. Is your is your dad going to feel slighted, or what's the deal there? You know, for those who know him, he he's just such a low key, laid back person. He would be mad if you asked him to speak in front of that anyway. So he he would have zero issue with being left off that list. Man, I was gonna say with because he's got what, what's he at now? Six hundred fifty wins or more? I'm not certain on that, but it you're in that ballpark. It's wow. a lot, a lot of years and a lot of wins. It's a it's a lot. So, well, good. Two more, coach. We'll get you out of here. Adam and I get an opportunity to come down and watch the Yellow Jackets. Uh, where do we where do we stop and eat in Lamoni before we uh, head over to uh, to catch the game? Well, I hope no recruits are listening to this, but you're stopping in West Des Moines and finding a great restaurant there on your way. Um, <laughs> but but to give the local love, if you're going to come to town, you're going to have a meal, you're stopping at the Pizza Shack. It's the local restaurant in town, family owned, um, and they do serve up a great za. See, there you go. That's what we want, Adam. That's what we're hitting up. Yep. So, all right, last one, Coach, we'll get you out of here. What's the best thing about having the opportunity to be the now new associate head coach uh, for Graceland University. Hey, the best thing about that is, as we've already talked about, I get to continue to do what I love on a daily basis with that renewed mindset of understanding what really matters. And that's impacting our guys at the highest level possible, just giving to them everything I have each and every day, and then letting whatever results come speak for themselves and if they're not the wins that we prefer still having that uh, comfort and knowing that we gave everything we had very well said coach we appreciate you taking some time to chat with us and share your journey and give us a bunch of nuggets and wish that uh, us and all the coaches listening can take with them on their journey as well 
we wish you guys the best of luck here going into finals and then the summer recruiting season. And then uh, we'll be anxious to see what the Yellow Jackets roll out with next year and keep our eye on what you guys have. And uh, best wishes on continued growth and success uh, down there and wish you guys all the best. Well, thank you very much, guys. I appreciate what you guys are doing for the for the game of basketball, but then here more specifically in the state of Iowa. This is a great addition to an already great game and great state.